We are still go with Apollo 11. You're listening to Apollo 11 Legacies. The following podcast captures an Apollo 11 legacy panel discussion recorded in Huntsville, Alabama, as part of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary celebration. The Eagle has landed. The panels feature people with a personal connection to the Apollo project. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced through a partnership with Intuitive Technology and Research Corporation and WHNT News 19. Three, two, one. And I was quickly told, there's a pecking order. And son, don't you forget it. Number one are the married officers. Number two are the bachelor officers. Number three are the married NCOs, non-commissioned officers. Number four is everybody else. And that's the way it was. So says Herman Topper Burney. He was a teenager living at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas in the years immediately after World War II. He's remembering that time. Those were the years that saw the German rocket scientists and their families living there and working at nearby White Sands Proving Ground. Topper's dad worked for General Electric as part of the development of the early Army missile program. In 1950, the 130 German scientists and their families moved to Huntsville for work at Redstone Arsenal. Also moving to Huntsville, 501 soldiers, 120 civilian Army employees, and 180 workers for General Electric. And that last group was Topper's father. Topper remembers those times as part of a panel discussion recorded at the Huntsville Public Library entitled The Paperclip Family Experiences. Here's more from Topper Burney. I was born in rural Pennsylvania, and this is important to know, rural Pennsylvania, because when we came to Huntsville, I had a handicap to overcome that none of the other Fort Bliss folks could understand or realize. I was a damn Yankee. (laughs) And believe me, the Civil War was still being fought. (laughs) 1950. Uh, So I grew up, my first uh, 11 years were in rural Pennsylvania. I had it made. A ball field right across from my house. We had an acre of land. Kids to run around, have all kinds of fun with. What a life. Then in 1947, Daddy came home and said, we're moving to Fort Bliss, Texas. Fort Bliss, Texas. Texas, why? Well, Daddy loved the West, and he wanted to get back out West, and he accepted a job with a bunch of rocket scientists that have just been moved over from Germany, and so there we were. 1947, R&D SL rocket, Fort Fort Bliss Annex, Fort Bliss, Texas, no trees. Oh my God, what a shock. Uh, no humidity, so that's good. Lots of sun, and we lived on a military base. And I was quickly told, there's a pecking order. And son, don't you forget it. Number one are the married officers. Number two are the bachelor officers. 
Number three are the married NCOs, non-commissioned officers. Number four is everybody else. And that's the way it was. I was told never get in a fight with the son of one of the Army officers. And guess what? There was two of us out there, and we never got along together. So I was constantly in trouble there. <coughs> we took a school bus. The Army provided a school bus to pick us up there on where we all lived and would take us to school. And I want to try to go through that if I could. Uh, the bus had to show up at the main post, the uh, main gate, I guess, around 7.15, 7.20. The guards would wave it on through. And if the bus went straight, jumped the curb, it would run into our clubhouse. The military gave us a clubhouse where we could, and it was for the teenagers there, the male teenagers, and before anybody tries to make this into a gender thing, there were, there were four American teenage males. There wasn't any teenage girls. So that's how we got the clubhouse. And it also had a lot of land there. They provided equipment. We could play touch football. Uh, hit softballs, life was good. Life was good. You're listening to Topper Bernie and his experiences, first at Fort Bliss in Texas and then later in Huntsville. His father worked for General Electric and alongside the German rocket scientist, the paperclip Germans. We'll hear more from Topper in a moment. We return now to the memories of Herman Topper Burney. He's talking next about taking the bus to school at Fort Bliss. The bus would enter the main gate, and if it didn't run, when it stopped before running into our clubhouse, it would turn a right, and there was a short distance down there to the officer's club. And then the bus had to turn left, and when it got to the swimming pool, it would turn left going up the A ramp. Officers club, swimming pool, choice, quarters, and those were little apartments that were all occupied by the married military officers. So the bus door would open, those kids would get on. Go a short distance more, open the door, the married enlistment kids would get on. Short distance more, the married civilians, and Jerry Christie and I all, we lived there in the same neighborhood, so we all sat together on taking the bus to school. Then it would come into the, uh, <coughs> where the married Germans that lived in the apartments lived. There were four apartments in each one of these wards. The first apartment was uh, Friedrich, and Dr. Friedrich had two small girls, I want to say one third grade and one either second or first grade. The next were the Vanderzees. The Vanderzees didn't have any children. Next were the Ericas, who had a small daughter. I, I would guess she was around fourth grade. The last apartment was Dr. Von Braun. And at that time, they had no children. The bus didn't stop at the next building, but that was headquarters where Dr. 
Uh, Major Hamill had his headquarters office. Uh, Dr. Von Braun had an office. Uh, First Sergeant Propes, Sergeant, Mary, Sergeant Major Barron was in there. My father had an office there. Then the bus would continue on up, and this is where the larger wards were. Oh, yeah, I did get the, the four German families that right. were there, the mm-hmm. headquarters, and then the larger wards, and I think uh, Axel Roth and I be became very, very good friends in El Paso, and I think Axel's family lived up there in one of the larger wards. At the dead end, the bus would turn right, go just a short distance, take another right, and we'd come down B ramp. And B, B ramp had all, they had, the wards where all the families with more than one or two kids lived, and the bus would quickly fill up. And the German kids, they were the only ones, I guess, that got into, they had musical talents. They were the ones, only ones in the high school band. And the boys had flutes and all these small instruments, but the German girls, bless their hearts, they're the ones with these great big, instrument cases, and I remember so well how they struggled to get in the bus and with this large instrument back to their suit. One of the days the edict was put out, English is going to be the only language spoken on the bus. And Daddy came home and told me that, he said, that doesn't affect you. English is the only language you know. <laughs> Quite true. Gisela Fovey, and oh, how I wish she was here. Gisela Fovey got on the bus, and apparently she thought I was behind that edict that only English could be spoken, because she whirled on me and lit out a string of German that I had no idea what it was, but I know it wasn't how nice my shirt looked there and everything. <laughs> and I tried to convince her, Gisela, I had nothing to do with that. And I don't know if she ever, ever still believed me. So maybe I can run into her one of these days and we can get that straight. Then the bus would be all filled up. It I don't know what happened on C ramp. And then D was where the uh, army, unmarried uh, army uh, NCOs lived. So that was the mess hall and that. So no folks to pick up there. The bus would leave on the uh, uh, Fort Bliss on the west gate and would stop and get Margie Stewart. And she would get on the bus with us and then we'd go on to Crockett Elementary School, where all the elementary kids would get on, they turn around, come back to Austin High School, <coughs> and Austin Junior High, and that's where the rest of us would get up. And I cannot remember one single argument or one fight of any nature on the bus. So, by gosh, here's a bunch of teenagers, German, a few English, and just got along fabulously. That's pretty remarkable for a bunch of teenagers. We'll have more memories from Herman Topper Bernie in just a moment. 
More now from Topper Bernie. His memories as part of the early days of the German rocket team and the civilian workforce that included his father. Back to the clubhouse and the profanity. <laughs> Oliver Axter. Dr. Axter. Can I tell this story now? Sure, go for it. I think they can handle it. Are you okay? You can cover your ears if you'd like. Oliver Axter, I think, the Axters never came to Huntsville. Dr. Axter, I understand, was kind of fighting it out with Dr. Von Braun to see who would be the king of the forest, and he realized that he wasn't going to be king of the forest. So they, they went on to the University of Chicago. But Oliver was the oldest, uh, I think, of all the teenagers. And we... He wanted a clubhouse meeting one day. So we all went into the clubhouse. And you could tell Oliver was mad. He was, eyes were close together, beaded up. Oh, I've been told I can't pound on the table. One time. No, no, no. no. Oliver got up. He pounded on that table. And he said, Son of a lady dog. <laughs> oh, everybody started laughing. German teenagers along with the American teenagers, and we had to explain to Oliver, Oliver, your translation was fine, but. <laughs> it was good times there on that post. Swimming pool, gosh. So they let you guys in all the time, too? Absolutely. Oh, wow. I thought I was the only one. Oh, we could go swimming any time, and the lifeguards would usually come on in. It's not that big of a crowd. Uh, the clubhouse was wonderful. We had all kinds of fun there. Otto Eisenhower, did you know Otto? I knew of him. Otto, yeah, was... Much older than me. But we were playing there, and I still carry this picture in my mind. We were playing touch football, and here is Otto all of a sudden running for a touchdown. He had a grin from here to here. Just run, 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 run. Happy as can be. Oliver, uh, Oliver, Otto eventually ended up uh, going to med school. Guy, and he's still practicing, I think, psychiatry there in Birmingham. It's a good thing he had that smarts, because I tell you what, Otto would have never gotten a college scholarship of any time of an athletic ability. <laughs> he was big. The, we, my, I think the kids pretty well were treated fairly well here in Huntsville when we moved. Our parents weren't. Because I remember mother and daddy would come home and they'd tell the story of if we got into some kind of a, weren't treated well at one of the stores, they'd spread the word, don't shop at such and such a store. Mother didn't drive, so Thursday, daddy would always come get her. Off they would go to the grocery store. Mother had this grocery cart just full of food. She went to the meat department and said, I'd like a leg of lamb. And the butcher looked at her and said, lady, we never had no call for that leg of lamb until you Yankees moved here. <laughs> Mother looked at him and said, I'm a Canadian, 
and this is the last time I will ever set foot in this store. <laughs> Henning Crome told a story. Henning, was, uh, Henning lived out in the county, and he told the story that uh, there was something going on at school, and it was an elementary school, and his mother made a plate of cookies or something to take, and he offered a cookie to one of the children, and the little girl, whoever was, looked at him and said, uh, my parents never told me to accept anything from you Germans. So I guess in some of the schools, it wasn't as well as it was. Huntsville High was fine, except for the problem I had being a Yankee. Axel Roth was one of the most popular persons there in the school. Uh, when you think of what all happened with the, with the Von Braun team, as we became known, coming to Huntsville, my gosh, we changed Alabama. We certainly changed Huntsville. We certainly changed the United States. And my friends, the Von Braun team changed the world. I'm very proud to have had a very, very small part of that team. You've been listening to Herman Topper Burney, his memories of being a teenager at Fort Bliss in Texas and then in Huntsville. His father worked for General Electric as part of the early development of America's missile program. He worked alongside the fabled German rocket team. Topper's remembrance recorded at the Huntsville Public Library. He was part of a panel discussion, the Paperclip Family Experiences. We invite you to listen to our other podcast on North Alabama's space history as we continue to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. Go to the Apollo 11 tab at the top of our website, whnt.com, where you'll also find other interesting items on North Alabama's contribution to America's manned spaceflight history. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced in partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology. Content made possible with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center's Legacy Panel Lecture Series. Music provided by Megatracks.